Hello, this is Mike Ghetto and Steve Carpenter from Yakima Chief Hop Union. Welcome to our eighth episode of our podcast, Beer, Baseball, and Binds. Today we will be joined by our very special guests and friends from Georgetown Brewery in Seattle, uh, Matt Connolly and Reed Spencer. Reed's the brewer. Matt's, uh, I think, in charge of sales. We'll get to them in a few minutes. But uh, Steve, your Mariners, uh, a no-hitter, Pax, and he's had a couple of great games here. What a way to start uh, the week out or the... Uh, this part of the year for you the big maple came through for us the other night and he did it on canadian soil and in my opinion as a fan who's been over there when the blue jays invade it couldn't happen to a nicer fan base (laughs) (laughs) matt uh matt and and reed welcome to our podcast matt you must have been thrilled by that baseball game as well yeah you know what it was uh obviously fantastic anytime you can witness history but i actually had it on the radio first on my way home from work and between phone calls work related and family related i knew there was a shutout going but i didn't know it was a no hitter until i saw the tv in the bottom of the seventh. Oh wow so it was a very nice surprise for me to get home to that that's about the time that i tuned in i was uh, got home about the third or fourth inning Turned it on the radio, threw something on the barbecue, and then at the end of the sixth, I think uh, they announced that uh, they hadn't had any hits yet. And I just couldn't believe Paxson. It just seemed like he got stronger through the through the entire game. And I just hope that uh, Kyle Seeger gets a steak dinner or two out of the deal. <laughs> that, that catch on third base, yeah. Yeah, he had a couple of nice ones. I actually told you guys like this. I, I told my wife that we were witnessing history, so she – very thankfully for me, she was making dinner, and I said, you know what, go ahead and burn the dinner. You got to <laughs> so she, she didn't burn the dinner, but she did see the last three outs. Oh, good. So, Matt, uh, did you grow up in the Seattle area? Have you been a lifelong Mariners fan, or, uh, or is this more recent? I, I transplanted to Seattle when I was 15 years old. Uh, that was now 30 years ago. Uh, but I lived previously in Indiana where there was no professional baseball, and I lived in uh, Santa Barbara, California, where I was remotely a Dodger fan for about five years, but uh, made the Mariners and everything Seattle home as soon as we got up here. And I understand you're one of the very earliest uh, Georgetown Brewery uh, employees or team members. Is that correct? Yeah, I am. I've managed to avoid the axe for 13 years running. <laughs> I, uh, I actually was um, friends with Manny and Roger both right after college. Manny and I went to UW, had a mutual friend, and uh, Roger went to UPS, but he, uh, he worked after college with a, friend of, a college friend of mine. So I'd known them both separately since about 95, probably. And then when they started the brewery, um, I had a different job, not in the industry, but I said, hey, it might be fun to work with some friends and sell some beer. And uh, turns out they liked that idea as well, and none of us were wrong. It's been fun. When, when did Georgetown start up? When was your, uh, your first uh, uh, barrel of beer brewed? So uh, we sold our first keg of beer in February of 2003. So they had a few trial batches in mm-hmm. the pre- preceding months to that. And, uh, and then Reed, uh, Reed Spencer, uh, when did you join uh, Georgetown, and uh, what, how did you get involved in brewing? Uh, I started working at Georgetown in the summer of 2007, uh, only because uh, Manny declined to hire me when I, uh, when I applied <laughs> the first time. um but i just i started as a home brewer and um when i didn't get hired at georgetown uh the first time i worked at a different brewery for about six months and then got a call from georgetown and came over here and i've been here for 
yeah so 11 years now well you guys you guys certainly make some of our favorite baseball here uh, favorite beer here at uh, yakima chief uh, we've got some of your Bodhi Zaffa on, on t uh, in, in the glass at the moment. We picked up a growler uh, last night, and uh, it's just a fantastic beer. And uh, obviously it has won many accolades, and deservedly so. Uh, it's a great beer. What, uh, what hops do you have in that one, Reed? Uh, we've got Citra, Chinook, and Mosaic. Those are the ones that really shine through. Um, and it's i got to say, you picked a good one to, to be drinking right now because – uh, two-thirds of those hops came from you guys and uh, your staff and your growers have have really jumped through a lot of hoops in the past to help us solidify the hops that we think makes that beer the right beer for us and uh, so you know right back at you shout shout out to YCH and um, and and the YCH staff and, and the grower owners Appreciate that, Reed. I, I got to tell you, this uh, Bodie's off a beer. Uh, it's definitely one of my favorites. I would say that no matter who the brewery was we have on the podcast with us. Uh, I go down to spring training every year. And uh, a friend of mine that goes down with me, uh, he was over in Seattle a few days before we went down, came by, picked up several cases of Bodie for us, and that was our spring training go-to beer this year. Awesome. <laughs> uh, it was just amazing. And so I, I'd really like to say, you know, as a WSU Cougar, uh, <laughs> oh, no. Matt and Manny, I'm, I'm just so proud of you guys for being able to be successful despite your inferior education. Uh, well, we, we like to make beer that you guys like to drink. There you go. <laughs> it's, it's good stuff. Reed, uh, we had a uh, my you know again I'm still relatively new at Yakima Chief, but I had the pleasure of meeting you last year during selection and uh, just you know how long have you been coming out and and uh, you know we, we very much appreciate your kind words about Yakima Chief, but but uh, how long have you been coming out to selection and and kind of maybe walk through your process mm -hmm. as a team and and how you go about uh, making your choices for the hops you're uh, you're choosing for your beer. Well. Um, your first question, I think I've, this is my sixth selection, uh, so this year will be my seventh, I believe. Um, and, you know, I don't really have a good answer for you with how we make decisions because we're still learning. Mm -hmm. um, and, and what we've learned that what we smell on the table doesn't always present the same way in beer. Mm -hmm. And... And so we're learning through experience how to correlate what we pick up on the table and what that means for the final product. And we can, we can really only just do that with time and, and testing and good record keeping um, and, and also group input, you know, because some people will detect certain things that others don't. And, and so it's, it's important for us to have a few heads together to make the decisions, uh, but not so many that it just gets overwhelming. Sure. How many people are on your team when you when you are getting the, the team in the room and you're doing the sniff and rub and uh, discussing uh, what you like or dislike about certain um, lots? Currently, it's four. That's the number that we've settled into. That means I got whacked last year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at one point, it was up to eight. And uh, that was, it was, um, it was a task to get 
through the whole process with all the varieties and interpreting everyone's opinion. So we, we dropped it to four, and that seems to be a good number. As you're going through that now, you say you're, you're keeping records and, and you've got the lot analysis and, and, and you are able to kind of look back in time and, and review what you've got. As, and as you think about, again, just take Bodie uh, as an example, are you finding that you're picking um, hops uh, continuously from the same farms or is it with the same uh, our total aroma and oil profile or, or is, are you seeing some sort of common themes as to what you're choosing or is it evolving a little bit uh, every year as you're going through that process? Um, it's a hard question to answer. Um, we do, we have seen some historical trends with selecting the same farms. So I do request to have some farms on the table for certain varieties. But, and again, going into selection, I always want everything to be blind. Mm -hmm. So I want to know that farm A is going to be a part of the mix because we've selected farm A, say, two times in the last four years, mm -hmm. but I don't want to know which one it is. So I want to have the opportunity to select it, but I, I don't want to be, I don't want it to be suggestive. Reducing the confirmation bias up from right from the beginning, that's good, yeah. Right, and then so individually, what I like to do is look back at records and try and figure out, was it something specific to that farm or was it um, harvest time or was it potentially a variable in how it was handled? So I look at those variables, but again, it's hard to find a correlation. And um, it's an interesting oil analysis, we've, we've looked at a little bit, but haven't really had any strong leads on, an, on oil analysis yet. Um, but there are some basic, um, basic sensory things that come out at selection that we do see transfer over to the final product. Like if a if a hop is heavy on onion garlic, we can usually anticipate that we're going to get that same flavor in the beer. Mm -hmm. Or if it's uh, harvested earlier and getting more of the green bean, maybe asparagus or grassy on the selection table probably going to get that in the final product too. But in the middle there, somewhere where it's, um, you know, all those beautiful fruity flavors come out and there's a mix of them, just because something is smelling particularly mandarin or orangey, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to make the beer mandarin or orange. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's the challenge that, that we're working on now is, is sort of devising that. Yeah. Well, that's, that's interesting to hear that. Our long-term vision here is to get to the point where we know what our customers like Georgetown want and are actually gearing up our production practices in the field towards uh, developing that hop. And, of course, it means having the right picking dates. It means uh, analyzing oil content through the season and uh, but long term, that's the point we'd like to get to. Uh, we really believe right. that uh, right. uh, great hops help make great beer. And uh, the better we get at that, uh, hopefully it's uh, better for you guys as well. Yeah, absolutely. And especially in hop forward beers like like uh, Bodhisattva. I mean, there's not there's not a heavy malt profile that's covering up the hops in that beer. And, um, and 
that's the beer we like to drink too and we think our customers like to drink and um, the hops being on the forefront that that's important to us and um, and YCH has been great about uh, providing information that I ask for. You can ask Blaze. I am a needy little bitch when it comes to <laughs> information. And, and, and he's great. Your whole staff is great about yeah. jumping through hoops to track down information for me that I'm looking for, whether, whether it's going to be useful information or not. If I, if I think it's going to be useful, I'm, um, and I'm asking for it, uh, I know it takes them time and, and, uh, and and we're trying to we're trying to find results, but we don't always know how to do that yet. You know that's that's great to hear because on our end we are feeding your input back to our growers. It's very important for them to know what our customers are saying about their hops, whether they're selected or not. And uh, we we had a great time last week in uh, Nashville at the Craft Brew Conference actually recognizing uh, 14 of our growers for being uh, what we call our top cut growers. Uh, they not mm-hmm. only uh, finished well in terms of selection, but uh, had other attributes to uh, developing the hops that uh, our customers like. And uh, based partly on your feedback, those folks were recognized last week at our uh, Here We Grow event. Great. That's, you know, it's very important, Steve. You know, Farmers, our growers, we have a little bit over 50 growers, including our ownership uh, itself, which is what 75, 80 percent of all the hop growers in the PNW. And to narrow it down, there's a lot of pride uh, by the growers to be part of that top cutter, top cut team uh, of, of you know profiled growers. And they and, and you know we've all got that competitive spirit. And uh, you know, and you mentioned WSU and UW, and we talk about baseball all the time. The farmers. Uh, you know, take tremendous pride in, 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 in both um, producing a good quality hop but also being selected by what they consider to be uh, top uh, breweries. And uh, certainly there's a lot of pride when they know they're getting selected by people like Georgetown, and uh, that's why that feedback is so great. And uh, it's a part of a continuous improvement out there. And um, But, yeah, you know, at, at, the, at the beer conference or the craft brewery conference was, uh, was just really nice to see and people very proud by that. Yeah, I agree. And it's a it's a two-way street, and I'm I'm always so pleased to see how interested uh, growers are in our feedback, um, and that that we can all work together and make good beer and have fun doing it, and and communicate best we can and and improve and move forward. Every morning, I have to pinch myself because there was a day in the hop industry. And in my former life as a hop grower, where it wasn't that way, there wasn't any transparency. Uh, Brewers did not come out to farms, and farms, quite frankly, didn't have that much interest in what was going on at the brewery level. So uh, this is a a brave new world of uh, transparency, of uh, us doing our best to make better hops so that you guys can continue to make these great beers. Um, it's it's a fun time to be in the hop industry. Yeah, and I think the results are there. I'm going to switch gear a little bit. Uh, Matt, ask you a little bit about uh, sales of your product. Uh, you know, you know, Georgetown I think continues to do extremely well. What's uh, what's going on with the the brewery and your sales, and how how's business overall? 
Yeah, I, business is uh, is really strong for us. I mean, there's no there's no two ways to look at it. Um, it starts with Manny and Roger, you know, 15 plus years ago, putting in a really effective business plan and really hitting that thing on point and sometimes above point to our own surprise every year since then. Uh, and I think the most recent sort of revelation, I guess, in that in that sense, as far as looking at how we have continued to succeed recently with this you know, just influx of so many good craft breweries, you know, locally as well as nationally. Um, somehow Georgetown has continued to, to see that rise. And for us, uh, the most obvious point in the last 12 months has been going into cans. Mm -hmm. um, we were a draft-only brewery through all of 2016, and that year had us at about 53,000 barrels, uh, 52 and change. Mm -hmm. And then in 2018 Memorial Day weekend, uh, we released cans for the first time, just Bodhi, uh, Bodhi Zaffa IPA, Lucille IPA, and Roger Pilsner. Couldn't get and Manny in the can at that time yet, huh? <laughs> no, no, no plans. I've had a lot of people tell me that we said we'd never can, which is not true. Uh, obviously, we would try to never, we'd try to avoid the word never. And I've also had now people tell me, well, you told me you'd never can Manny, so what's going to happen there? And I said, well, I'm going to tell you right now that we didn't say never. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, you know, the, 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 the part of that, I think, that's also a, a little stroke of genius is we knew that cans would increase our leverage and our people's awareness to our brand in the market. We knew that draft was playing only in about 20 percent of the craft beer segment as far as, you know, volume and consumption and dollars. So we knew that we were going to get into this this brave new world, if you will, that you spoke of earlier. Um, but we even still then were overwhelmed by the response. And I think there was wisdom in deciding not to can Manny's because, A, we wanted all these bars and restaurants, and now they've become our friends and good relationships with these people, to still have a reason for customers to go look for our flagship beer instead of hoping to bring it home. They would have to still go out and patronize those bars that have helped put us on the map. Mm -hmm. But the other side of that is we just would have never, ever been able to even remotely keep up with the demand that an established brand like Manny's would have called for going into cans. Oh. And, and we, and maybe we didn't realize how close or how hopeful we would have had to be to keep up with that until after we released cans of, of Bodie and spe you know, specifically Bodie and Lucille. And then we've just kind of looked and said, well, we haven't been able to keep up with Bodie and Lucille and hardly at that point, anybody even knew Bodie. Right. So, um, so it has seen some some great growth, and that translated to basically 2017 uh, getting us up to almost 61,000 barrels, so it was over 7,000 barrels growth mm -hmm. uh, for us. And then, you know, this year, 2018, right now, we're trending for about another 11 or 12,000. We might end up somewhere in that range of about 73, 74,000 barrels worth of, of volume, total volume. So craft, so craft beer not quite dead as far as Georgetown is concerned, huh? <laughs> no, no, it's not. And I have these continual debates with Reed and, and the production staff, and they look at me and they say, you know, something about how much beer they need to make to try to keep up and what do I need to go out and sell? And I just give them a lesson that I learned a long time ago in Austrian economics. And I say, hey, guys, <laughs> no, nothing is produced until it is sold. So you guys make it. It's already out the door. <laughs> Austria's jo um, uh, Joseph Schumter created destruction. You're, you're continuously reinventing as well. So. <laughs> Yeah, so it's it's been good. It's been a good uh, a good run for us for 15 years now, but especially these last you know kind of 12 to 18 months as as the production guys have really dialed in some great experiments with with beers, and then on the sales side we you know get out there and and really just try to 
we try to represent the market by represent in the market by basically just saying, hey, we're going to stay true to our word. We're going to bring you good beers. And if you call us with questions, we're going to call you back. We really don't. We really maybe don't anything. I think we really do oversimplify the the, the recipe on the sales side and, and just try to put good people on the street to represent our brand. It's a, it's, it's a winning formula, whatever you guys are doing. Obviously, the, the beer itself is great, but then, uh, Matt, uh, what you've been able to do on sales is, is very impressive. How, how, how wide is your distribution net now, and uh, how much of it is uh, through a, 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 you know, a third-party distributor? How much do you do directly? How much is uh, percentage-wise still sold right at the, uh, the brew house? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll start kind of on the, on the back end of that. We distribute in the entirety of the state of Washington, Oregon, and Idaho. Um, I take that back. A little bit of Eastern Oregon has some area that's not covered by our primary distributor, but Western and Central Oregon. Um, and then in, the, in California, we have uh, just the Bay Area uh, and north of the Golden Gate Bridge, so just north, a small part of Northern California. So we distribute beer in four states. Washington is still uh, responsible for about 90% of our total consumption. Uh, which is really neat. We love that local community, and we love, you know, being still uh, recognized by uh, by the people closest to us. And then in our retail area that we call retail, because we don't do any food here, we just do uh, kegs, obviously cans, growlers to go, um, and then little free samples. And in that s- segment of the brewery, we're going to probably sell – now that we're doing cans and that's grown so rapidly, our retail section has probably going to drop to about, I guess, seven or eight percent of our total volume. We'll do, we still do a couple thousand growlers a week out of our retail space, which is incredible because mm-hmm. I think just growlers, it seems like, are almost so passe, but it's amazing how many we go through. Um, but yeah, we'll go through probably about 5,500 barrels just out of our retail section out of a total volume of about. 70,000, 72,000 this year. Oh, that's great. And, and again, you guys are another example of a brewery that has been a big part of a rejuvenation of a, uh, of a, of a community or a, a neighborhood that, uh, you know, had, had seen a little bit of a rougher time and is starting to make some really great, uh, great improvements uh, in terms of living environment. Yeah, yeah, it sure is. Georgetown's been a wonderful neighborhood for us to, to land in. Um, when we got here, it was a coffee shop one bar called nine pound hammer and a pizza place called stellar pizza and in the uh in the years since i mentioned before obviously 15 um you, you can't walk through georgetown now without running into a really cool bar or restaurant uh for the whole kind of six eight block run that is airport way and everything around us and then yeah not to mention you know the breweries that have joined the neighborhood it's been really really fun mm-hmm. You know, speaking of, of neighborhoods, I know Mike and I will be in town on May 25th. Uh, there's this team from northern Minnesota <laughs> that's coming into town, and uh, we may be we may not be talking during the game, but certainly before that, I don't want to commit Mike to anything, but would love to swing by and say hi to you guys before Absolutely. the game. Absolutely, yep. That'd be fantastic. Absolutely, I'll make the time. All love right. to host you guys. Good. It, you guys are selling some beer at Safeco, right? How's that been going? Selling our beer at Safeco? Yeah. Fantastic. It's been, it's been going very well when I go to the game because <laughs> I go right to the Bodie Taps. And, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, and we've, uh, we've been really lucky, I think, just given the region. Uh, we've been really lucky that the, the caterer, Centerplate, um, 
knowing where they are have really sort of led the charge, I think. And there are a couple of ballparks around the country, but Safeco's leading the charge and saying, hey, we're going we're gonna to play with craft beer and we're going to play with local craft beer because we all know that, um, you know, a lot of sponsorship dollars come through the domestic beers in this country for sports, for sports channels, entertainment. Um, but I think Safeco Field, if I can remember correctly, has like 740 draft handles available, and I think they've got about 65 or 70 percent of those as craft beer. That's fantastic. Yeah. I was only so able are... to get through half of them uh, last time <laughs> I was there, so I'm going to try to get the other half this time. <laughs> Homework. Okay. It's it's due diligence. Yeah, it's 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 actually work. You know, it's a yeah. Sometimes getting paid to drink beer is a tough life. I know. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Market research. So Matt, do you have a do you have a favorite or a couple of favorite uh, Mariners baseball players that uh, you love to watch more than others? Or I, I do, I do. I mean, I can't talk about a, a favorite Mariner without you know flashing back to history. Griffey's my favorite all time athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it's funny because I I do a thing uh, with my family that says beginning of every Mariner season we say, okay, pick your boy. Who's your boy going to be this year? And <laughs> even though Griffey is my all time favorite. Something about baseball that I have always loved is speed. And so when we signed D. Gordon, oh, I was yeah. like, he's my guy. I hope he bats 280, and I hope he swipes 50 bags. And to see him now, man, 340, whatever, 345, I think right now, um, just just fantastic. So I love watching uh, D. Gordon. He's been a ton of fun. He, he has definitely been a spark plug. I love his enthusiasm. Uh, it's It's fun to watch. My go-to guy this year has been Mitch Haniger. He's so far yeah. stayed healthy. I think he's on on uh, pace for an All-Star year. Uh, yep. His breakout year. Uh, I saw him when he first came up, and uh, holy cow, he's he's living up to his potential so far if he can just stay healthy. <laughs> well, you called that oh. in spring training. You talked about him maybe having a breakout year. I, I did, and I, I we aren't to the end of the year yet, but uh, I'm I'm hoping that he keeps it going. Um, so I got I'm gonna jump in real quick with just a funny Mitch Handiger story because we were at spring training uh, last year, not this season, but the one before. Right. And my we're sitting in the stands, and <clears throat> my daughter's two, and uh, not quite two at the time, and she's sitting on the on the dugout with her back to the field between innings changing, and she, and I take a picture of her in her little Mariners jersey. And, and she's got her arm, like one arm up in the air, kind of going like, what? Like, it looks like she's just questioning something that's going on. And in the background, right behind her, is this guy running out of the dugout wearing number 17, who I've never heard of. And his name's Mitch Hamburger. And I sent the text to my friends, and I was like, look, Lucy's already questioning all the lineups. <laughs> and so Mitch Hamburger is my daughter's boy. Oh, good. Good. She's picked the good one, I think. She sure did. Yeah. Uh, what are you guys uh, uh, sentimentally thinking about Ichiro and the current status? Thinking about what? Ichiro Suzuki. Uh, I, oh. Ichiro, I think, I, I was wondering how that would end. It could have ended very poorly. Uh, I was not a big, as although I'm a huge Ichiro fan, I was not a big fan of them uh, signing him to a one-year contract. But I think the front office had a good... Uh, Good resolution there. You know, he's going to be with the team in the front office, and uh, uh, I, I think it uh, ended much better than, uh, you know, the Griffey thing or some of the other uh, uh, stars that came back with the team. Do you think he's played his last game? 
Actually, I think they'll find a way to get him in there to start the season next year. We're opening up uh, the season in Japan, and uh, I, I think part of the deal is to be able to get him in there for an at-bat or two against, uh, I think it's the Oakland Athletics that we play in uh, Japan yep. to start the season. Mm. So, Yeah. Uh, I think you're. I think you're right. I would hedge that he has not played his last game. That's my guess. Yeah. Well, you know, if, uh, if I mean Paxton, the two two games in a row were 16 strikeouts and a no hitter, and then if King Felix can get back on track, two pitchers with a, the rest of the team just average to slightly above average can take you a heck of a long way during a during a season. That that's going to be very exciting in the West. Yeah, especially if these guys keep hitting, man. I mean, you guys got you. We got a lot of guys right now with averages, you know, sneaking in the high twos. And if you can hit, they'll find a place for you. So throw a couple of decent pitchers in there. I think we're going to be in decent shape. Yeah, I, I like Leak too. He's he's not a big guy, but he's got five pitches. Uh, he'll be going today against uh, Toronto as we uh, leave Toronto. I think we're heading to Detroit. I think on Friday, but uh, and I. I think we have one makeup in those Twin Cities on the way home. We, we? we do. Uh, Mike and I have a uh, beer on the series, <laughs> so it's one-to-one. One. So whoever, uh, whoever wins Monday, the, the other one uh, will be buying the beer. Well, we'll, do that at, uh, we'll do that at Georgetown in a couple of weeks when we're down there. So that'll oh, be the I time to have we'll, that bet. Good. We'll buy all your beers. That <laughs> <be> <laughs> well, Gentlemen, thank you so much for uh, for taking time to speak with us. Uh, we really appreciate that. We know it's in the middle of your, your brewing day, but uh, we just love our relationship with you, and, and, and uh, we hope that continues for many years. But the, the back and forth on communication about what uh, what's going on with the hops and how to make improvements and all of that, we certainly appreciate, and uh, we always love people who are making good beer. So thanks uh, so much for all of that, and uh, really look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks. Right on. Cheers, guys. Yeah. Thanks so much for having us. Matt for Reed, having us. One, one last thing. Just uh, yep. keep making great beer, and here's wishing you nothing but good hops. Thank you very much. <laughs> we appreciate you guys are that. a big part of that. We appreciate it. All right. Okay. Take care, guys. See you guys. Bye -bye.